You're listening to a Crap Magazine conversation series, hosted in collaboration with BIM, the British and Irish Institute of Modern Music, and the largest music institute of higher education in Europe. In this episode, we welcome DJ, label boss, and general future thinker, Elijah. As the co-founder of Butters, Elijah has been instrumental in uplifting the rise of artists like Flavor D, Royalty and DJQ. Beyond the label, his work with youth music and his iconic Yellow Squares insights on social media have established him as an important and imaginative voice in British independent music. Here, Elijah chats to Cracks audio manager, Jasmine Kent-Smith, about his entry into the music industry, butters and supporting artists in 2023. Consistency, commitment, and just making the damn thing. These are all hallmarks, I suppose, of a certain figure in music who just so happens to be joining me, Jasmine, for a discussion presented by Crack Magazine and Boom Institute. The figure in question, of course, is Elijah, who has occupied various roles within the music industry over the course of his career, from the launch of his and Skilliam's trailblazing Butters imprint, through to his work as a DJ and party promoter, youth music project leader, and general conversation starter thanks to his Yellow Squares project. All of the above, I mean, among loads of other things, serve as examples of his continued dedication to music and culture and the uplifting of talent. So let's get started. So I'm obviously here with you, Elijah. How are you doing today? I'm good today. I've had a quite an exhilarating day. <laughs> Emails, exercise, water, all of the good stuff. <laughs> it sounds like a very wholesome but productive January. But for the purpose of this interview, it would make the most sense to wind back to the beginning, before Yellow Squares, before Butters and before your other ventures to set the scene for the work that you're doing currently and the role that you occupy in the present day UK music industry. So kind of staying on that tip, how did you get your start as a DJ alongside Skillium, who I think back then was like your university classmate, if I'm correct? That's right. I guess my start was just buying grime records listening to pirate radio as a kid, figuring out how to share those, I guess, ideas or mixes and stuff on the internet, on blogs and on forums. And then Vince FM reached out asking to do a grime show. There was, at the time, there wasn't enough grime DJs, believe it or not. So we did a pilot, me and Skidim did a pilot, and then that was in um, 2008. And then we joined Vince FM. I guess at a time when there was just less platforms or less ways to access the music. So we were able to effectively like learn in front of people. Like Will Skilliam has been DJing a lot longer than I have, maybe five or six years longer. But now when I got into Rinse, I'd only been DJing for a couple of years. So I literally kind of learned my craft in public. Well, speaking of those early beginnings and you said there weren't very many grime DJs around at the time. And I guess you were doing something that felt new, but also true to you. Were there any obstacles that you faced at that time that you had to work through quite early on and get to grips with quite early on? I guess I didn't have any music industry experience or anything like that. I've never worked at a music company. I mean, I've not worked at a music company to this day, but my way around that was just reverse engineering 
stuff like oh how does this work okay find out call the number google ask questions and i wouldn't say i face barriers like i have a lot of advantages i'm from east london you know rinse of them was 20 minutes from my house i've grown up going to club nights i had like a base level understanding of how everything worked already it wasn't opaque like how the mechanics of that version of the industry so it was pretty much make things put it on physical mediums put it in shops and sell it the industry is a lot more complicated today than it was then can you recall the moment i guess maybe it was an actual like light bulb moment if you will or maybe just a conversation or a period in time where you realized there was scope to what you were doing and that it could become a fully fledged career outside of just the passion project i mean it still is a passion project obviously but you can kind of see where i'm going with this yeah i think just the existence of dubstep it was like 140 bpm instrumental music dj and producer led and i was like I like this and it was getting big and I was like if this with grime and that kind of MCs and more edging towards street culture just made sense to me I was like that is the gap and I could see all these people that are doing shows abroad and and kind of yeah they had something going which I didn't fully understand but I knew that that was the gap in the market like be the be the grime label in addition to all the dubstep labels that were there it's funny you say about a gap in the market, actually. That was going to be my next question. We've spoken about Butters' inception before in a conversation. And at the time, you stated that you wanted to promote grime, but work in a style that emulated, I guess, a slightly more untethered approach that some electronic music labels like Hyperdub and I guess other labels kind of putting out dubstep at the time were doing. Is that why it felt right to launch when you did and kind of take on the stance that you did? Because you saw it working in other realms and other kind of sounds. And you thought, actually, I could apply this to something that I have great knowledge or kind of understanding or love for. Yeah, definitely. And it was my taste as well. So it's not like I just saw Hyperdub and respected the movement. I liked the music and the artists that they were putting out at the time. And yeah, there were a whole bunch of other things kind of bubbling just before they started. Like the Butters label started in the same year as like Night Slugs and Numbers and like these other things that Hessel Audio was already going. But I think it had like a, big year in 2010 and there was a whole bunch of other stuff all kind of converging so I was like okay well I'm if this was a party then I'm going to bring the gram to the party I didn't think everyone needed to start a gram label I just thought this was a good addition to the landscape that was already there maybe not even a gap in the market but just an addition to the landscape and then at the same time there was gram daily but like when SBTV and all these other things that they didn't have like the numbers and night slugs never had that side whereas we had MCs and MC culture and you know music videos and all these like big characters whereas like the DJ thing was a bit more you know not reserved but it was just a different makeup of people and, and but I tried to make it sit in the middle because that's where I sat as a person like I'm quite nerdy and into like computer stuff and you know just the most oddball niche music but then I also like you know MCs and rap and dancehall and <laughs> I don't know violence and aggression or whatever the, the all the kind of chaos that I've always lived in so it's not you know there was like a middle ground between the two things. No for sure and I mean another I guess speaking of point from me 
speaking about middle grounds, your work really quickly diversified. There was the label, of course, which launched in 2010, like you said, the parties, the radio show, the blog. It really seemed like you understood the value and the importance of diversifying a career in music early on, which is something I guess a lot of people are looking to do now or looking to emulate. Was that how it felt at the time? Did it feel like it was necessary or did it feel like it was the right thing to do? Or was it literally just a way to, I guess, satisfy your interests and pursue all of the things that you were curious about? Yeah, I think they were kind of all one and the same thing. So Butters was a blog and it was a party and it was a label, but they they serve different people. Sometimes people plugged into all three or four, whatever the arms were. But again, this is me as a music fan. I was someone that was reading blogs and reading websites and reading forums and admin and forums and all sorts. And then I was also buying records and then I was also in clubs. So I wanted to have like a... It wasn't diversification. It was It was actually reacting to like the spaces that I was in. I don't think like diversification might have been at that time, let's just say like I had a, if I was an agent, for example, and a promoter or something, that would be like two, they're in the same pocket, but they effectively are two layers of the same, same thing. I'd call that a bit more diversified, but mine was like, I've got the same brand across all of these things. I'm pretty specialized. <laughs> I was like focusing on one narrow you know, niche music. And, you know, I could have said, all right, look, let's mix it with some dubstep. Let's mix it with some funky. Let's mix. Like, I could have done that because I do enjoy that music too. But I was like, no, for focus and for making the point, it kind of had to be what it was. Otherwise, we wouldn't have cut through. Did you ever feel tempted to do just that? Start integrating what you're already doing with sounds like dubstep and funky? Or were you quite adamant that, no, we're on the right path. We're doing what we should be doing. And whilst other labels, I guess, might be mutating in these newfound ways, that's not us? No, I, I did it in my own way. So I'll just include people that I liked that were doing it and maybe a bit more isolated working on their own. So I used the parties as the space to like more experiment with my taste um, in terms of clubs, DJs that I liked, other kind of sounds and people that I thought were good that maybe didn't have a platform. I guess I did a lot of that without thinking about it. It was just like, oh, like I like Champion. Like, let's, why don't we book him? <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't strategic. Like, like a lot of this stuff wasn't strategic. I was just doing stuff that I like or thought would be a good addition. So we kind of like like the party, for example, was like Graham was like the main event, but then the things around it, you know, complemented that, and you know, stuff that other people were into, dancehall, jungle, whatever it was going to be, and garage, and. Then when you heard Grime, it was like, okay, cool, this makes sense in this context. I didn't, when we were booking, say, like a fabric, we had eight hours to book and I didn't want to have like eight hours of Grime. Not because I didn't think that'd be a good idea, I just thought there was all these other fringe artists and people that I, I liked as well that I thought would make a more rounded party. Like a lot of the party side, especially, it was like trying to make a good party as well as like new music and you know, whatever my taste. But if someone is spending money to go out, I still want them to have a good time like how they would at a random R&B hip-hop party or something. No, for sure. That makes a lot of sense. Let's go on to something else, shall we? What practices or business changes have you had to do over the past decade plus to keep going as an independent label? What has felt necessary to ensure your survival, I suppose? So there's kind of three major ones. The first is stepping into a managerial role for the artists that we work with instead of having them as 
I guess, artists on our label, we were like, no, the label and our operations or me and Will, me and Skillium served the artists and them being front and centre and their own brand and their own thing. So the first person we really kind of committed that with was Flavor D. We still manage her today. So, you know, we really spoke to her about her ideas, what she wants to do, and then just committed to doing that. That really changed Buzz, really, that from from then it became maybe like a secondary thing. It was Buzz was more like a public kind of collective and the label was more like a background thing from then. So from as early as probably 2014. And then um, I guess through, you know, 2014 to 2017, streaming took hold. So physical music and all that kind of medium was just lower priority for us. As we connected with new people, new audiences, young people that we were discovering, you know, the artists that we work with, Swindle, Flavor D, DJQ, TQD, all that kind of stuff. Again, if we didn't like focus on streaming more than, say, vinyl or something, then I think the label would have not folded, but it just wouldn't have progressed to another generation. And then the last kind of pivot, I guess, was, you know, 2020, everything was shut for all that time. And a lot of our business relies on live. It relies on clubs and relies on live music and connecting with people. And once that stopped, it's like, okay, well, how do we adapt to if this happened again or if this is going to be what it is going to be going forward how do we shrink and grow and shrink and grow with different ideas and I guess the yellow squares is me figuring that out publicly it's not I think people think that it's music industry advice it's like no I'm just working in this thing at the same time trying to figure out all these answers to these questions and I'm like I can't be the only person that is <laughs> really like going through it with this so yeah, that's idea. You've actually just touched on what's going to be my next three and four questions in one answer. So let's work through it piece by piece. The first thing you touched on was stepping into more of a managerial role and having that really compact, tight-knit team that is the core Butters team. There's obviously yourself and Skillium, people like Flavor D, Royalty, all of whom you've taken great care over the years to nurture and uplift in ways that likely surpass that of major labels whilst these artists are still retained what makes them them I think it's a very special model going back to what you said initially this feels like it was very intentional you wanted to create that sort of nurturing environment that's who you wanted to be right yeah I mean the whole history of all the music that I love is people getting ripped off people getting bumped so it's like well I'm not going to come into the industry or come into whatever this is and do the same thing or repeat the same structures and when you figure out why a lot of like labels or crews or collectives folded it was because I guess the incentives weren't aligned properly so maybe one person gets huge and then they think oh I don't want to work with them other people or they fall out over money or this kind of stuff but try to be as transparent as possible and yeah like play different roles like sometimes I've had to yeah just take a back seat and let them just do their thing and I guess now I'm kind of stepping into like a bit more of the spotlight I hadn't hadn't really spoken about anything apart from maybe Graham or something on the internet for forever so but I always had these thoughts or had these this insight but um, it's important that people realize that they can make whatever structure they want that you know serves the artist well serves the the business world, or however you want to do it, it can be done. But there isn't a, a way to do it. It's just ways that have been done before. But like I have this saying about, you know, the industry standard of the music industry is trash. 
So if you use that as your benchmark, then <laughs> then you're going to repeat the same things that have held back artists for or since the inception of the industry 100 years ago. No, I would have to agree with you. And I feel like lots of people would echo that sentiment as well. The second point that you already answered in your previous question, where you touched on your relationship with social media, how has that changed over the years? Like you said, you've gone from, I guess, only really speaking up about music, about releases, about things, I guess, that are coming out in terms of the Butters label. But now you are stepping forward more and yellow cards have become such a thing. That's actually what we're going to touch on next. Have you had to reevaluate how you spend your time and where you choose to take in media and the sort of content that you want to put out or even the use of like content that's probably not something that ever like crossed your mind when you were just putting out vinyl I, I guess it did I always tried to tell like stories and like we, we put out documentaries and like for a label of our size like five people <laughs> or six people whatever it is to make little documentaries and like 20 minute little films and and tell the stories of the artists like Swindles had his own documentaries and Flavors had our own shorts and stuff like we've always tried to like tell our own stories and then now it's just maybe with the squares it's just doing that in a more bite-sized way that is has more utility for someone else like this I guess is not about me as a person or it's not about like my creativity I guess it is about my creativity to a degree but it's doing something that I think will help a lot of other people on this journey too so it's more of like a utilitarian thing than uh, just, you know, experimenting with <laughs> vibes or something <laughs> that maybe music is. In terms of my content diet, I've always been quite particular about that and I've always followed stuff way outside of music. I just didn't really share it. So it's kind of interesting now when I speak about or show it interesting topics, people hit me back with the deepest, like, you know, essays and podcasts and books to read because I've just shown like a small interest in stuff even in the club people want to talk to me about neuroscience or something or about like (laughs) these these like kind of really deep topics so it's good it's like do you know the saying engagement like I don't mean engagement in the way of like likes and follows it's like people send in real quality messages or you know I mean or asking really deep questions and that that is a really nice way of being on socials doesn't feel like I'm, I'm not trying to grow a following what would I even do with it if I had one you know what would be the point no that all makes a lot of sense and does lead us on to yellow squares and just closing the app and making the damn thing which has become I guess quite a bit of a motto I've seen people have had it as their phone backgrounds and all sorts for those who may not have heard or seen of the project but I'm sure if they're listening to this they probably have or at least recognise the graphics at least, would you be able to give us a bit of context as to what it is, what inspired it and how you found the reaction to it? Yeah, so the Yellow Squares are just like ideas that I put out semi-regularly on Instagram mainly. They usually develop out of tweets or conversations or observations that I've kind of been experiencing working in music and creativity and art or whatever. I've been sharing them for about a year and a half now. It started out originally as someone asking me to put my tweets on Instagram. I was like, okay, how am I going to do that? I just don't want to just screenshot the tweet and put it on Instagram. That would just look rubbish. So I just got this app, Procreate. It's called Free Apple Pencil. Just drew some in some ideas. I wasn't really good at Instagram before. All I was doing is the same thing everyone else is. Just like, oh, I'm here. Here's a sandwich. 
is a gig, whatever. So I thought, okay, let me use it in a way that is just different to everyone else. And yeah, a lot of people just started coming back with questions and, oh, why didn't you write about this? Why didn't you try this? And then it just snowballed. And I guess the saying, close the app, make the thing, came from a response to a DM about making work. And that was my response. It was more like, just just close that and make the thing. Just come off this Instagram. I don't have any advice for you. Just try it and get it done. Because obviously I've worked with artists for so long. The amount of things that could have happened if we didn't stall or, you know, things get delayed or plans change and this manager says this and this agent says this. Like the, the amount of music that could have happened without all of those roadblocks, some for good reason. But most of the time, maybe like 80% of the time, it's just that doubt stepping in. And it's so cheap to like release ideas and share stuff. Like, it's like, well, you might as well try. Even though it's like, it's so impossible to have like, I guess, the kind of pop star type career. Like, oh, I'll just make tunes and then put them up and it sells. It doesn't mean you shouldn't try it. You should still make the tune anyway. You should still write the thing. You should still make the beat. You should still like, just explore it if you can. And it doesn't need to be to that extreme, but so much of the advice people want or ask for is like trying to set the perfect scenario for them to break out into the world. I'm just like, I don't know. <laughs> Even people asking me, I'm like, what are you asking me for? Like, I don't know. <laughs> Would you say the same thing to people looking to start up a label in 2023? Just, just go ahead and do it. Don't worry too much about the perfect timing or having the perfect first release, or having all of these other things fall into motion, just do it. Just, I guess, as core, it's like, I knew why I was doing it in the first place. Like, I figured that out. Some people are like, oh, like, should I start a label? I'm like, if you have to ask, then you shouldn't. Like, I knew why I was doing it. And I was very clear about the possibilities of what could happen if I, if I tried. So I wasn't having that kind of doubt. So, you know, a lot of the questions I'm asking people is like, why do you want to do that? What do you think will happen? what do you think running a label actually is? Or what, does that need to be the right structure? Do you just want to make and share work? Is a record label the right way to do that in 2023? Maybe it is. Or maybe you should start there as a basis for your ideas. But just the experimentation and figuring things out in public is probably going to serve most people better than seeing your hands with ideas and beats and words that you're just never going to put out or thinking that it's not good enough. Like how many tunes or rappers or singers, people are, oh, they're not even that good. But it doesn't matter because they got it done, you know, and got it out. And as I've got older, I've realised that it's not, that kind of doubt bit, just losing that slightly, it makes you, I wouldn't say it makes you a better artist, but it makes you just more interesting to follow, at least, because people look to artists to be fearless. And if you're in fear, then why am I looking to you for? That is very deep, very profound. But speaking of artists, what questions do you get asked the most by people either responding to squares that you've put out or just in your DMs asking you questions because you have kind of positioned yourself in this place where people see you as a a peddler of good advice or knowledge or someone who's keen to share these insights that other people should also know because if we all know these things we we rise up together yeah i guess there's some variation of this long question that i posted on instagram which is 
how can I get paid to make whatever I like with people enjoying it without me having to promote it while living an above standard of living in one of the most expensive cities in the world? So it's some sort of variation of that question. <laughs> and when I say it like that, it makes you realize like how impossible the question is or maybe how impossible the task is. But again, like, okay, if those are the boundaries, what are the, what's the first one that you could probably lose is maybe the get paid part at the start. Maybe people don't even have to enjoy it. Maybe you just do it. And maybe the promoting thing, it's like, well, if you if you want to be a pop star, if you want to be someone that lives off their art, you're going to have to learn how to promote yourself. And do you have to live in one of the most expensive cities in the world to do what you do? And if you do, then that's a creative barrier or creative opportunity. And if you don't, then move to a cheap city. Sacrifice. <laughs> No, that's all very wise. And yeah, I definitely agree with you. Going back to what you're saying about the self-promoting, if you were an artist starting out today, how would you go about it? What would be your plan to promote yourself? What would be your first moves? That's the second most asked question. And my answer is I would do yellow squares. That's what I'd do in my own way. So I would do something regular, fun, something that is like a natural extension of myself, like that doesn't feel like work. It's just like a kind of, and it's slightly different to what everyone, how everyone is else is using the app. So maybe if I was making songs, for example, the songs would just fit into the real format or TikTok format or Twitter format or whatever it's going to be about what happened that week. So it's whatever it is. Like there's, I think there's a big gap between maybe just creating for like your own expression or self-indulgence and then also wanting to share and build an audience and, play shows around the world there's a massive gap between the two things and most people think that making something means that you want the other thing whereas most of the people that probably message me or interact with me probably don't want to be pop stars but they want to make something and get some sort of interaction back and that's enough for most people and that's a, like a realistic not realistic but it's a it's an outcome that i feel like people will be happy with more happy with than they would imagine just getting a cool message going, oh, yeah, that's sick. The amount of joy I've got out of just positive comments, positive comments with effort, not like a fire emoji, but like, oh, I've seen this is a good idea that you had. Oh, okay, that's, that's sick. I can see why you put it together that way or I just thought that was hard. Or when I saw this, like that's the currency that most people could live on as artists forever. There's only, there's probably a small section of people that really desperately want to be pop stars, but... I'm not the person to advise you on that because I don't know anything about scaling something to that size. I don't know what it's like to manage like pop star or, or be famous or anything like that. So usually people speaking to me want to do something quite niche or a bit crazy. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> but also don't expect to be like, I don't know, some global touring superstar making uh, some crazy niche music. That's, that's very hard. No, again, that also makes a lot of sense. And don't worry, I'm not trying to ask you your advice to take over the world and take over the global charts and all that sort of thing. Going back to what you're saying about Twitter, actually, am I right in thinking that it was kind of during the pandemic that your perspective on the music industry and I guess your role in it began to shift and that's when your Twitter went and the squares kind of came about? Can you tell me a little bit about that period of time? Okay, so I deleted Twitter just during the George Floyd kind of protests and conversations. I just found it a bit overwhelming. I think 2020 was just 
a lot personally and obviously professionally. So I thought, let me just have a break, deleted it, come back to it. And then by the time I actually went to log back in, it deleted my account. So I had to start from scratch. I just got the same handle, log back in. And what do you say when you have zero followers? Like, how does this even work? So I left it for like another six months. So I had like nearly, like probably like nine months off socials completely. I was just doing other stuff, family, living life. And then when it came to, to yeah, to getting back onto it, because I do enjoy using the platform. So like, okay, well, I need to say something useful. Otherwise, what's the point in following me? And I wanted the people that followed me now to reflect, I guess, where my head is at rather than the expectation of, say, like me being on Rinse Affair or, you know, dropped some hot ground or something. It was like, no, this is where I'm at today. And people that are, I guess, with me for this part of the journey, it's cool. Like, it, sometimes I get tweets asking me to come back and rinse or something, but most people don't even know about that era now. So it was like nice to actually start from scratch. And I would advocate for that for artists. Like, you don't have to start your Instagram again. It might be just starting on another platform as a different side of yourself and exploring something different. Like, like in the best case, it, for me using socials, I would be slightly different on Twitter than I am on Instagram. And if I used any other platform, I guess YouTube or TikTok or something, I would just do something completely creatively different. I think a lot of artists just try and copy and paste the same thing to like four platforms instead. I think using the platform strengths and your strength towards that platform doesn't always sit in the same creative box. No, it definitely does. Yeah, I want to go from that to something that's quite existential actually but what keeps you going or keeps you pushing forward in all that you do what is it that's really at the crux of it like driving you throughout all of this I don't know I just enjoy the work like I just enjoy the challenge of figuring out like whether what I'm doing is making sense and like I enjoy obviously the music part and the fun of like making and putting stuff out and watching other people's journeys like when I see like artists put out their first song and it develops and then they become like, you know, they release loads of good songs or whatever it's going to be. I still enjoy that as a fan. So it's like, I get to be a fan within music and then I get to contribute as well. So that side, and I guess what I'm doing right now, it charges up all senses, right? It's like, okay, there's writing, I'm doing the lectures and having to talk about these ideas in front of people then like making music and putting out ideas, doing stuff very quickly. Then I'm still having to like deal with just, I guess the day job of being a manager and just trying to keep that working in a way that makes sense for for me and uh, my partner Will. So there's, yeah, there's just like this balancing act that is, maybe I wouldn't describe it as fun, but it's it's interesting, it's challenging. Like that, maybe that's the right word, challenging. And I don't know what the alternative is at this point as well. It's like, well, what would I do? Just like stop and then get a job in computer science. Like, what would I do? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I think this is the best job for me today in 2023. No, for sure. And you've got so much momentum behind you. Yeah, this just feels like where you're supposed to be if you believe in all of that kind of, you know, not that I'm not saying you're a major manifester, but all of that sort of things. You've put yourself in this position, I think, which... I guess not everyone can say, but speaking of 2023, actually, if you were to start afresh in 2023 with the knowledge you have, the experience that you have, but none of the work, none of the credentials behind you, 
Is there anything that you would do differently to what you've done before? Or would you kind of look to follow that same path? No, I think I just would have got more done in terms of putting stuff out. Like if my trajectory was more or less the same, it just would have been nice to have, I guess, more loose projects or more loose ideas or things that didn't fit inside of the, the, the lines that I was doing at the time. And there was a lot of opportunity to do that. Whether they were successful or not, it's, it, it doesn't matter. But that could have done... There was points where I could have done a bit more to to ensure that like I was being challenged. And I think you go through this weird thing. You're trying to get to this place and then you you get there, you're busy. And then that's what you were aiming for. Now you're busy. You're, you're so busy that you can't even do anything else. So like, you see this with DJs. They'll be like, oh, I'm so busy gigging. I can't even make music. It's like, well, then you need to stop gigging so much. But they're, <laughs> they're like, I guess the guarantee of money today versus uncertainty of tomorrow allows people in and and I think the actual buzz of traveling and experiencing all that stuff for the first time people don't want to lose it once they're in so it's hard to say no but um the, yes I guess the perfect scenario would have been some sort of balance between maybe slightly less gigs slightly more products slightly more like experimentation maybe gambled a bit more on other artists maybe that would have spoiled the broth like there's there's always this thing on the back of my head that what would have happened if there was one more of us you know like of all the people that were around there was a lot of people that I could have been like oh, I could have done a good job with that or like taking it somewhere else but maybe that would have been the straw that broke the that the yellow squares back that is hindsight for you an absolute killer no, I think that was good. I mean, this is why you're always urging people, labels, artists, promoters to just go out there and do it, I guess. That's kind of what you're saying there for yourself, that you wish you just went and made the thing more, right? Yeah, and it's, it's annoying because people say, well, you did make the thing, you did all the stuff. And I'm like, well, yeah, but <laughs> that was, I guess, with the backdrop of, you know, 696 and all these other things that, you know, fighting against or like you were in an uphill battle with not industry, but ecosystem, like the, the police and government, this thing, like people say, oh, it's really difficult now. I'm like, it's difficult in terms of just volume of stuff. But at that time, people were like openly racist, like, oh, we don't want these kind of people in our club or we don't want these kind of people here or you're not welcome. Like that was a, a real thing that happened for the years. Like even this is like a slight pivot, but do you remember like the shuffle house kind of sound and style? And you had like, you know, the biggest labels in house music saying, you know, we don't want these kind of people in our clubs dancing. <laughs> it's like, it's like a, this is like six, seven years ago. It's not that long ago. Sometimes people think, oh, these things were like 20 years ago. I'm like, no, I was, I was in the club. I was in these spaces where you weren't really welcome. And the last, you know, I'd say the last three years in particular, like that, sentiment has changed dramatically and even to yeah in terms of more women in music more women DJs and, and non-binary DJs all that stuff that like when Flavor started we could go for months months six months seven, seven months and she not share a, a bill with any other woman like for years for like probably about three or four years there was just not as many people like there's not as many yeah women in music at that time or at least being welcomed and promoted and invested in. And yeah, it's, it's, it's really, yeah, I can't really explain to people how different the thing that I came into was to what it is today. 
No, I, I, I see that. And what you were saying about, I guess it's not as many people taking a chance on people that fell outside of what was considered to be the norm. And I, that I feel like not the floodgates have been completely open because there are obviously still issues and it's not as representative yet as it could be. But like you said, we're definitely making headway. So any progress feels like good progress. And obviously we're at the beginning of a new year. So hopefully that will continue on to this year as well. Do you have a motto for 2023 when it comes to, I guess, work, life? Whilst we're in reflection mode, I suppose, is there anything that you're like, this is the year that I'm going to do this, or I want to be this sort of person, this sort of manager, this sort of label boss this year? Like, what's what vibe are you taking into 2023? I guess, like, all of these things are, like, one and the same. And the Yellow Squares has put, like, a responsibility on my voice and the, the platform, and, and I guess me as a person in general, like, what that's started to build, so it's been being careful with it but not to the point that it that stifles my voice or stifles the art or stifles ideas in general like I you know I had this thread like you know break free of all of these constraints and this sounds really basic but I'm going to just try the things that I'm talking about in the squares I'm going to try in real time and people will see you know what works what doesn't what fails what connects and I don't know what what is and what isn't, and then what to do next. I don't know. So it is a is a year where I just get to try my ideas for twelve months straight, and we'll see where we're at at the end of the year. If I'm in the same place and same or same, there's no position. It does even these things like oh, position or standing. It's like I don't think any of that matters. But it, for me personally, it will just feel good to be like, oh, okay, like I did you know, really made an effort with all this stuff for, for 12 months straight, coming off of, you know, two years of pandemic and difficult personal circumstances, you know, 15 years into kind of doing stuff in music, 10 years as a manager, like, that's cool. But then, yeah, there'll be another year, hopefully. <laughs> and who knows? I'm trying to, like, not be prescriptive about these things. I guess that's what brings about anxiety for people. I don't want to experience that. No, anxiety is definitely not fun. But it's funny you say all of this because, A, it does feel like you are doing what you're saying or you're setting out to achieve already. But also it harks back to what you said right at the beginning of this conversation about when buses first started and when you were first finding your feet as DJs that you also didn't know what you're doing then and you were learning as you go and you were evolving on the move and kind of doing it whilst you were, you didn't take the time to kind of, read up and study and study you were doing it as you know you were learning on the job almost so it feels like you're kind of going back to those core roots of when you started out in the very first place yeah I guess and I guess the layer added now is like the utility for other people so like doing what's needed like that was just something that I enjoyed personally and thought other people might enjoy too whereas this is like what I enjoy making and sharing but then there is like some sort of public benefit like most of the work that I do is free open for people to kind of consume and engage with or whatever and that bit was something I never had before and I could see the difference in in energy towards the work and stuff and there's a like I said there's a responsibility there that I've never had before as a grand DJ or something like I just I was just putting out tunes 
Whereas now, you know, I'm pushing back on like, say, <laughs> education or like when I'm challenging universities to do better or I'm challenging parts of the industry, it's like, okay, well then they can push me back too and say, well, what are you doing? So it, it works both ways. And it's something that I wouldn't just say it's just, it's just doing it. It's just like, okay, this is a pocket that I can do uniquely well, I think. And maybe even artists, it takes you a long time to, to find that. Okay, you might like making techno, for example, but you haven't found the, not just the audience, but like the home for why it's important that is you make that tune versus someone else. As I think I've found it with this project, why it's important that it's me saying it versus an academic, for example, or someone that works in government or someone that works in a department of a major name. There's something unique about me being an outsider of all of these things, but I can also talk to all of them. That is, once again, profound, but also a really nice way, I think, to bring this conversation to a close, which whether it's, you know, BIM students listening to this or anyone that's just really intrigued to hear more about what you're doing. Yeah, it is. You occupy a unique space and you're kind of a conduit through which these learnings and these pieces of knowledge can be filtered out in a way that feels really accessible, which I guess is a whole other conversation, but it's making things feel, I mean, you're relating to people in a way that feels very personal and very direct on like mediums that people use every day. People aren't necessarily having to go outside of their usual channels to engage in what you're doing or it's coming through just as it's coming through and for everything else they're engaging with. It just feels very natural. So yeah, thank you for doing what you're doing, I suppose. And we're excited to see what you do with it next. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And yeah, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll try. I'll try to keep this going, keep it interesting. And yeah, who knows what this will develop into, but it's feeling, it's feeling fun and exciting right now. Crack Audio.